Welcome, my lovely mutants. Welcome back to another episode of The Mutation Station, where we embrace the marvels of genetic mutations. I'm Mish, your mutant, and today in episode 9, we're diving into the intriguing world of hypertrichosis, a condition that's as fascinating as it is rare. Often mythologized in popular culture and shrouded in historical misconceptions, hypertrichosis, sometimes known as werewolf syndrome, which is probably where you know it from, is a condition that results in an unusual amount of hair growth on the body. It's a story that blends science, history and culture, touching everything from the world of P.T. Barnum's circus to the intricate landscapes of our genetic codes. Today, we'll be separating fact from fiction and exploring this condition from a variety of angles. We'll delve into the scientific aspects and most importantly, debunk myths about it. Now, the scientific term for werewolf, werewolf syndrome is hypertrichosis. This condition is characterized by an excessive amount of hair growth anywhere on a person's body. It can be generalized, where it affects the entire body, or localized, where it only affects a certain area. There are two types of hypertrichosis. Congenital hypertrichosis, this type is present at birth and will persist throughout life. There are several forms of congenital hypertrichosis, including generalized, distributed all over the body, circumscribed, excessive hair growth in a well-defined, larger localized area of the body, and then just localized, which is just a small area of the body. The generalized form can either be terminal with fully pigmented long hair or lanuginosa with fine unpigmented soft hair. Terminal doesn't mean it's fatal, it means there's no getting rid of it. This actually may have led to the myth of the werewolf, where individuals born with hypertrichosis tried to get rid of the hair, but it grew back. Perhaps could have coincided with a you know, full moon, and that's how we established the myth and the legend of a werewolf. Then there's acquired hypertrichosis. This type appears after birth due to certain diseases or medical conditions like malignancies or as a side effect of certain drugs. Now, acquired hypertrichosis can actually be a symptom of the medication I'm taking for the brain tumor. There's this massive warning saying can cause facial hair. And I was ready for it. I was like, right, I'm just going to like own it. I'm going to document it all on like social media and just take people on the journey of my hairy face with, you know, with me. But instead, I only had one really hard hair grow out of my chin and I named him Mr. Spiky. And I know my work friends know Mr. Spiky very well. Um, after plucking him, it would take about three months for Mr. Spiky to appear again. And I'd be so distracted by his appearance because it'd be like Mount Vesuvius would pop up on my, my chin and then you'd just get this like little hard spike. And it totally affected my productivity at work. I just could not focus. So one of my previous managers put the date in his calendar so that I would be prepared for his appearance, bring some tweezers to work or whatever. But I actually had a brief period coming off the medication and Mr. Spikey disappeared. And when I was put back on double the dose, he never made an appearance again. I miss him. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with hypertrichosis, but it is an example of how you can acquire hypertrichosis, which I did not. I had one hair. So when you go through historical records, the only famous people who had hypertrichosis were people who were made famous by it by being displayed in the unfortunately termed freak shows. Um, we have Julia Pastrana, often referred to as the ape woman or bear woman. Julia was born in Mexico and had the condition that had the thick hair covering her entire body. 
um, but and and uh, other than her palms and the soles of her feet, which gave her that appearance of being like a bear or an ape, which is just atrocious. Uh, there's Fedor uh, Jeftichu. Uh, he was known as Jojo, the dog-faced boy. Fedor was a Russian man with hypertrichosis who was exhibited in freak shows in Europe and the United States in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Then there's the lion-faced man, Stefan Brabowski, known as Lionel the Lion, lion-faced man. Brabowski was a famous sideshow performer who was born with hypertrichosis all over his body as well. Then... You have Petrus Gonzalez uh, from 1537 to 1618. Now, Petrus was actually one of the first individuals with hypertrichosis to be documented in history. And his marriage is actually to, uh, is considered to have inspired the story of Beauty and the Beast. We all know that Disney story. He was also known as Pedro Gonzalez, and he was born in Tenerife, Canary Islands in 1537. At the age of 10, Petrus was given as a gift to King Henry II of France, he was treated more like a curiosity than a human being and was often referred to as man of the woods or wild man. Despite this, he was actually educated at the court and was able to live life relatively comfortably. King Henry II decided to conduct an experiment of nature versus nurture. He wondered if Gonzalez, despite his wild appearance, could be taught to behave like a gentleman if he was provided with the right education and environment type of Pygmalion. The king was pleasantly surprised when Gonzalez not only learnt to behave like a gentleman, but also became fluent in three languages. After the king's death, his widow, Catherine de Medici, decided to continue the experiment. She arranged a marriage between Petrus and a woman named Catherine. The couple had seven children, four of whom also had hypertrichosis, and they were generally considered to be in love. These children, at the, um, uh, with the approval of their parents, were sent as gifts to the royal families across Europe, reflecting the dehumanizing attitudes of the time. But it's also like an ethical um, situation. It's, it's a bit tricky. So the father, Petrus, would know how he would be treated, that he would be this curiosity, um, that people may laugh at his children. They would have laughed at him. They would have just been completely... Um, you know, curious about about his situation, and what do you do with that? Like, do you he he with his approval gave his children away to European courts, knowing that they would be educated, they would live life very very comfortably, um, and that they may not have lived as long without the those means to survive. Um, they had lots of patronages patronages given to them with education and money. What would you do in that situation? It's really hard. Do you just grin and bear it and be like okay well this is my life but i have a warm bed i have my own apartments i have food i have money um i i have status in in the court oh and and the the price i pay for that is to either be laughed at poked at you know talked about it's 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 tricky but for um petrus um his family eventually settled in italy where they were under the patronage of various nobles and he lived to be approximately 80 years old, which is a remarkable age for the time. And he's thought to have died around 1618. And it's it's well well documented that he perhaps wouldn't have survived that long had he not been um, given to, to the king as a curiosity. Now, one of our most famous contemporary individuals with hypertrichosis is Jesus Chuy Eseves, also known as the Wolfman. 
He, along with several of his family members, has a congenital generalized hypertrichosis characterized by the hair growth over his entire body, excluding the palms, soles, and mucous membranes. Now, you can actually have hypertrichosis where the hair grows on the palms and the soles of your feet as well. Chuy Seves and his family have been subject of several documentaries and media reports. They live in Mexico and are known for their efforts to combat the stigma associated with hypertrichosis. Chuy himself has worked in a variety of fields, including circus performances and acting. He's a real advocate for just accepting people's uniqueness and quirks and love who you are, people. So in terms of featuring in movies for hypertrichosis, I'll stay away from the trope of werewolf movies, which, as we know, there are plenty. And in fact, my favorite um, werewolf movie is A Werewolf in London. Uh, What's yours? But there have been a few where hypertrichosis have featured as characters. You probably would have seen The Greatest Showman featuring Hugh Jackman, 2017. Um, It's about P.T. Barnum's circus, including a character called The Bearded Lady. She had circumscribed... um, uh, hypertrichosis and that was uh, a lo- uh, localized hypertrichosis on a larger area which was her face. Then there's The Lion Woman. This Norwegian drama film tells the story of Eva Aktanda who was born with hypertrichosis causing her to be covered from head to toe with fine hair. They've also featured in artworks thanks to the fact that they were passed around like treasures in the European courts. These portrayals often reflect societal attitudes towards individuals with physical differences and the two examples are notable for the way a male artist portrays its subject compared to a female artist. So one notable example of hypertrichosis in art is the painting A Hairy Female Savage and a Snake, 1570 by Joris Hofnagel, a Flemish artist, from his art book called Animalia Quadrupedia et Reptilia. This painting depicts a young woman covered in hair, thought to be one of Petrus Gonzalez's daughters, along with a snake. But note the words hairy and savage. And while she's there with a dangerous reptile, she looks like she's the monster, not the dangerous snake. So fast forward 25 years later, another painting, Portrait of Antoinetta Gonzalez, by the Italian painter Lavinia Fontana, created in 1595. Antoinetta Gonzalez was another daughter of Petrus Gonzalez. In this portrait, Antoinetta is depicted as a young girl wearing a lace collar and, a, and an elaborate dress. The portrait is remarkable for its empathetic representation of Antoinetta. Rather than depict her as a curiosity or a wild woman or a savage, as was common in artwork depicting individuals with hypertrichosis at the time, Fontana painted Antoinetta in the style of formal portraiture, emphasizing her humanity and dignity. She names her. She calls the painting a portrait of Antoinetta Gonzalez. She's a human um, and she's she's painted her as any other little girl would love to be painted at the time. She's staring lovingly at the, at the artist and the artist is painting a beautiful portrait of her in a gorgeous dress and it's very befitting of exactly who she is. Lavinia Fontana was one of the first women artists to achieve professional recognition during the Renaissance. Her work often centered on female subjects and she's known for her detailed and sensitive portrayals. Look her up. Now, many historical werewolf cases are now thought to have been either misunderstandings or misdiagnosis of various medical conditions like hypertrichosis. One of the earliest known written references to a werewolf comes from ancient Greek mythology, the myth of King Lycaon of Arcadia, 
is perhaps the most famous ancient account of a werewolf. I, I hope I haven't butchered that name. According to the legend, the Seon incurred the wrath of the god Zeus when he served him a dish made from the remains of a sacrificed boy. As punishment, Zeus turned Lyseon and his sons into wolves. This story comes to us from Metamorphosis, a narrative poem by the Roman poet Ovid. So in terms of mythology, one can make an obvious connection between hypertrichosis and werewolves. Werewolves are perhaps the most well-known myth connected to hypertrichosis. In folklore, werewolves are humans who transform into wolves, typically during a full moon. It is thought that people born with hypertrichosis tried many ways to rid themselves of their hair. They would even tar themselves and rip it off like wax, but it would always grow back, giving birth to the werewolf myth. They were also known as wild men and woodwoes. In European folklore, the wild man or woodwoes was a mythical figure that represented a sort of primitive, uncivilized or wild human, often depicted as being covered in hair. And this could relate to being ostracized in, in villages where, you know, a um, child is born and left out into the wild to go and fend for themselves and likely died, but myth and legend would have that the, the man would be wandering the woods, etc., very unjust. Um, they were also depicted as yetis and Bigfoot. In Himalayan folklore, the yeti is a creature often depicted as a large, hairy, bipedal hominid, similar to the Bigfoot of North American folklore. While there's no di direct link to hypertrichosis, the image of a hairy, human-like creature may have been influenced by such conditions. And similar tales and beliefs about humans transforming into animals can be found in many other cultures across the globe, from the Norse Norse berserkers who were said to transform into bears to the skinwalkers of various Native American traditions. In terms of literary main characters other than werewolves and yetis, we have Isau from the Bible who is described as being like a hairy garment all over and his description might be one of the earliest depictions of the condition in literature. So hypertrichosis shows us how all too often society leans into fear and misunderstanding when it comes to those who look different. Those, these conditions can evoke centuries-old myths and stigmas, turning a medical condition into a spectacle. Each one of us has the power to challenge these perceptions, to embrace our unique differences, and to contribute to a more inclusive and understanding world. We are more than our physical appearances, more than our genetic mutations. We are storytellers, dreamers, thinkers, creators, and so much more. Let's break down barriers of misunderstanding together. And in doing so, let's create a world where diversity isn't feared, but celebrated. Because at the end of the day, it's our differences that make us human. And acknowledging and embracing those differences in all their forms is perhaps the most human thing we can do. Because we are all perfectly imperfect and mutant.